Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. A matchup of two great young quarterbacks, Justin Herbert, Tua Tungavailoa, plus a Hail Mary for the ages that just grows the burgeoning legend of Kyler Murray. But we're going to begin quickly with a shout out to the Simpsons. That's right, the Simpsons, still going strong. I believe it's season 32. Matt Selman is Michael Lombardi's guy. Gave you a shout out on last night's episode. Tell us about it, Mike. You know, I, I was too busy crying in my horrendous performance of picks this week that I didn't have an opportunity to watch it. Plus, my fire alarms in the house were going off and, and, and I'm such an idiot. I can't figure out how to get them to work and Bella the dog is going crazy so that whole thing set me back but i'm going to watch it today but i I got the i got tate frazier thank you sent me the picture i put it on my avatar on twitter matt had us his favorite podcasters were sitting in the tavern there and and i appreciate it matt that you didn't give me 17 chins that i truly deserve so thank you so much i actually liked it i like the button down sweater look you know it kind of looks like i'm they pulled me back in again so i liked it yeah the episode was about grandpa's being accused of this crime and so it's kind of like an episode of Serial like you know true crime podcast and Homer's listening to the podcast so is Bart so is Maggie etc and so that one scene as you said if you go to Tate Frazier's uh, Twitter handle T-A-T-E-F-R-A-Z-I-E-R of course the former uh, host of this podcast does a great job or just go to Mike's handle he's now changed as he said but it, it's a hilarious shot of seeing Kent with Mike Karina Longworth from You Must Remember This the great to, uh, old school movie podcast TCM and then Nick Weiger Mike Mitchell and Mitch from Doughboys so you know you've made it when you've been on The Simpsons right Mike? That, 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 it's truly a great honor and, and you know they got stu- the, the, like the glass they have for me I mean they have the woman has the martini and, and they have I'm drinking Jack Daniels Sinatra Select right there. I can't beat it, you know? So like, I, like I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with the, the whole coordination. Maybe that's not a button-down sweater. Maybe that's a jacket. But either way, I'm good with it. It's all good. Anytime you can remove chins from my face, I'm pretty happy. Listen, by the way, for people who have not met Mike, the way you describe yourself, you describe yourself as like some sort of like 300-pound man. That is far from the truth. But yes, it's always good to be a little self-deprecating. The, the- I have a 300-pound man. He lives inside of me every day. He wants to come out. I have to beat him with a stick. <laughs> And the only the only thing that actually works with them is when I go to Mexico and get Mexico diet pills. Then that, that works really good. That's the only thing that keeps him in his cage. But I haven't been to Mexico. It's killing me. Anybody knows where you get Mexican diet pills, please feel free to call me. <laughs> we'll get them soon as a sponsor here on the shelf. Until then, uh, cigarettes and coffee, the model diet. That's always the best way to lose weight. All right, to football we go. Uh, this was about as crazy an ending as you'll ever see. Bills and Cardinals. Josh Allen leads the Bills towards what you think is the game-winning touchdown. An impressive drive down the stretch. There's like 43 seconds left, and the Bills take the lead. Perfect pass. He throws Stephon Diggs, who's been one of the best receivers in football again this year. And Allen's numbers, 32 of 49, 284, a couple touchdowns, a couple picks. But just a little bit of time there for Kyler Murray. And sure enough, it's enough time to go down the field and then throw a Hail Mary. Waning seconds. DeAndre Hopkins outjumps three guys. I mean, maybe it was double coverage and the third guy came at the end. But if you snap a picture of it, Mike, it's three on one. And D-Hop shows an incredible job, not only catching the ball, just the strength in his hands. That's what I kept thinking about, the strength to be able to make that catch 
it, it was an all-timer moment. And like I said, it it adds to the legend here of Kyler Murray, who's something special, isn't he? Yeah, no doubt. And I think this is a great, great for any coach, any evaluator that listens to the pod. That play is a great example of strong wrist. He has incredible wrist. The ball never moves his hands. He has great eye-hand coordination. There's no denying that. But his ability and his wrist strength is so strong. And you can improve this. I mean, you can definitely improve it with, uh, you know, you go into those uh, tubs with all the stuff. But his wrist and his ability and his body control. You know, one thing about Hopkins is he's not the fastest receiver in the league. He's not the most explosive. But he has unique body control. He's like the guy who's 6'6". Six, six. He's like Barkley, 6'4 and a half, who led the NBA in rebounding one year. He just has a great knack of how to be in balance. Balance is one of the greatest traits receivers have to have. They have to have production and balance. When you're doing college receivers coming out, one of the reasons why we talked about DK Metcalf last week that I missed on him was I didn't know DK Metcalf had great balance, right? And then, you know, his ability to be able to play the game in balance which is what Hopkins does so well. I mean, look, it was a great play. It's a miraculous. I lost the game. I had the Cardinals. They don't kick the extra point. They say, thank you very much, Lombardi. You know, I, I take this very personally, AD. I take this very personally. You know, they, they don't kick the extra point. I lose that game. And, uh, you know, once again, Buffalo scores seven in the fourth quarter. It takes a Hail Mary. If you don't score in the fourth quarter, if you don't have the mentality that this game is not over in the fourth, that you're nursing leads, you're going to lose. The Arizona Cardinals dodged a bullet there with a great play because they had opportunities to put that game away. And look, I didn't think Kyler Murray played his best game whatsoever. I didn't think he did. I mean, they ran the ball. They ran for 217 yards in the game. They averaged 6.2 yards a carry in this game, and yet they didn't make enough plays in the passing game, and it wasn't until that last 43-yard touchdown pass that really sealed the deal in terms of their passing performance. So great win for them. They've got to get ready quickly to go to Seattle, but wow, what a play. Exactly, and we'll get to Seattle in a second because all of a sudden now, this is a more exciting race now for the division title. But first, let's take a listen to Cliff Kingsbury. Makes his way from the college ranks to the NFL, now has his favorite moment so far in the NFL, reflecting on that Hail Mary as D-Hop gets it done. Uh, it has to be the biggest one of his career, maybe. I don't know. He's phenomenal, you know. he. he I went out of that game last week um, regretting we didn't get it to him and crunch time or try to get it to him in crunch time more. Uh, we had a good talk this week, and I've never been a part of one of those, so still kind of at a loss for words, but um, what a phenomenal play. So that's Kingsbury. Now take a listen to a noticeably frustrated Sean McDermott Buffalo coach. To lose a game like that, you got to be pissed. Could you have done any better than that? I mean, yeah, of course. I, I, mean, it, I mean, what do you no, I, honestly I, think? Like, could I have done any better? Of course I could have done better. You, I, meant, I meant in terms of the – okay. That, that's what I was, yeah, I was I mean, there's always that's, that's why I said what I said that when I came in here, the very first question I said, you're always, as a coach, you always think about what we could, could have done differently. Right? That's the very first thing I said. What, what could I have done differently? What could we have done differently? Right? You ask the players the same questions. I'm, I'm, we got great guys in this locker room. They're saying the same thing. Knock the ball down. We can't be interception-minded in that situation. Knock the ball down. Right? So at the end of the day, give them the credit. They made a special play. A little salty, Mike, for good reason. For good reason. I mean, look, you, you know, it's one thing. And, and look, I, I sit on this podcast. You sit on the, we, we all, that's what we get paid to do is the second guess. But, you know, I mean, they, you have a guy in front of them, you have a guy in back of them. And the bigger issue is, is it, 
is not what they did with Hopkins. It's the inability, because of the uniqueness of Murray, to keep him from from making that play, you know, from making that throw. This rocket-like arm that he has and the foot speed that he can, that he can contort his body, that he's going to the left and can contort his body so that he can throw the ball down the field 43 yards and give the guy a chance to make a play. To me, that's the issue. If this is... If this is Philip Rivers or Tom Brady or Drew Brees or any of those guys and they get and they get away with this, then you know, go in and ask McDermott. But you know, look, I, I bitch about when you watch a game with me, I think I probably spend 90% of my time bitching about the in- inability of the pass rush to attack the quarterback. Uh, it just drives me completely insane. And yet, this is one of those where, and even though I bitch about it, and it, and I and I, it affects my my psyche so much. This is one of there's certain players that you can't get bad at. That you just there's certain players that no matter how you draw it up, they're better than you. And I think this is one of those cases. McDermott did everything in his power. He just didn't have a chance. I mean, you know, it, it, it just as as the saying goes, shit happens. Exactly, and. To the detriment of the Bills, because the Patriots win last night. So now that feels like that's a division race again. We'll get to that in a second. But let's dive into the Seahawks, because for a lot of people, myself included, Russell Wilson, first half MVP, and yet now he's had a bit of a slump here. Wasn't able to produce a good game after a bad game previously. Three more turnovers as the Seahawks lose the Rams 23-16. to They came in averaging a league-high 34 points a game. You and I have said they're not going to win the Super Bowl without a stronger defensive performance. Well, now the offense went by the wayside. And they lost their second consecutive game. They've gone from first place to third place, the NFC West. Wilson has now thrown seven interceptions and fumbled three times in the Seahawks' last four games in which the Seahawks are one and three. Your reaction, Mike, to Russell feeling mortal or the Rams just playing inspired defense? Well, look, I, I think this. I mean, there was he, he made some really huge bad plays. I mean, he's scrambling. He could run for about 20 yards. And, he, and he's got the ball in the red zone, and he throws it an interception in the end zone. I mean, I just, it was very un-Russell Wilson-like. This is, again, once again, you know, you lose, you lose, you, you put it on your record, whatever your record is at the end of the day, that's what you have to deal with, right? But when you analyze this, I mean, if you would have told me on Saturday night that the Rams are going to score 23 points in the game, I would have said to you, well, the, the Seattle, Seattle will win 37-23, 34-23. It'll be, a, it'll be a nice, Seattle will win the game. And yet, here they are, they score 23 points, and Seattle only scores 16. I mean, it's just beyond me. You know, he played as bad as I've ever seen him play in my life. I've never seen him play this bad. You know, two interceptions, you know, bad decision-making, sacks six times. I mean, you know, yes, I I agree the Rams are are really good. They played them well. But to me, this is, I was counting on Goff to turn the ball over, which he did once not Russell Wilson to turn the ball over, which he did three times. So for me, this is one of those, you're counting on the guy who you think is the MVP of the league or potentially the MVP in the league, and he plays an absolute dud in perfect conditions. That's that's really disheartening. And and how can you handicap that, really? Like, if you if you took the Rams and you said the Rams are going to win— you did not think that's how the game was going to go. You did not suspect Russell Wilson was going to shoot a that was going to play like that. There's just no way you did. And I will say this about the Rams: I think the Rams' season is going to be determined moving forward because 
with Whitworth's injury, and they had to cart him off the field. He's one of the best players, played a long time, great respect for him, his ability to play at his age at left tackle. You know, when he came out of LSU, nobody thought he could play left tackle. The Bengals did. They made him. Great, great, great career uh, as a player. But for them to lose him to that knee injury for the rest of the year, that's going to be a hard thing to overcome for a team that's not really with a lot of depth losing your starting left tackle. So that's the situation there for the Rams. Meantime, you mentioned Russell Wilson's poor decision-making. Here's Pete Carroll talking about Wilson's first interception. Big mistake. It was a bad play. It was a, it was a decision that, you know, that really, rarely have we seen Russ do. You know, he's on the other side of the field moving that way and throwing the ball back across. Uh, he does miraculous things often. Um, that wasn't one of them, you know. And, and uh, um, you know, I'm screaming for him to run because he could have got 10 or 15 yards, I thought. And, and then all of a sudden, he, he chucked it. I thought, oh, maybe he's got a touchdown. When Russ makes a decision like, like to go for it, uh, he's, he's usually pretty darn good for years, years and years and years. And uh, that one didn't work out. That was a mistake. All right, so honest about that. But take a listen to how confident Wilson is after the loss. You got to move on. You still got a lot of game left. Um, the the second pick, the guy made a great play. I mean, um, the reality is I know who I am. You know, I know I know that I'm a great football player. You know, I know I've been great. I know I will be great. I know I'll continue to be great. I know I, I know that uh, there, are better, there are better days ahead. You know, I, I'll use a baseball analogy, but sometimes you go up to the plate, you know, and you don't have your way. So that's what it was today. Uh, Russell Wilson, uh, not lacking confidence, Mike. I feel like that after going 0 for 5 with my picks. I feel like that. Like, I feel like, you know, just you got to go on to the next week. You just can't linger with it, you know, and you got to say to yourself, hey, uh, you, you got to get back and you got to go. And, it, you know, there's a reason you were 67% last year. There'll be a reason you'll bounce back from this. It's the same thing with Russell Wilson. He'll bounce back. He'll torch Seattle this week. I mean, he's got little time to think about it. I think he's got the right mentality. And I agree with what Pete said. I mean, when when Russell torqued his body to throw the ball in the back corner of the end zone, I thought it was a touchdown because I felt like the guy had to be wide open for him to make that call. And yet he didn't. And look, Seattle's got a long way to go. I think the one thing, the other thing we learned about Seattle on that, on, on that is they're not getting better. You know, they're not getting better. I mean, they played better defensively, but I'm not sure they were actually better defensively. You know, whereas you see certain teams in this league that are getting better, right? You know, the Giants, as bad as they are, are getting better. Miami, getting better. New England, getting better. Seattle, not getting better. And, you know, we talked about them having to be outscore people. And when their offense falters and they hold the opponent to 23 points, no wonder why they're on a two-game losing streak. So he'll bounce back. I have no doubt about it. Russell Wilson seems like he's taking a page out of uh, Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley, the old Saturday Night Live sketch with Al Franken. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Yes, Russell will be back. Dolphins and Chargers a matchup of two rookie quarterbacks. And you can almost feel this one coming, Mike. One guy's got the better team around him. The other guy doesn't. And the Dolphins win and the Chargers do not. If you want to just go by the numbers, Tonga Vailoa, 169 yards, two scores. Herbert, 187, two touchdowns and a pick. And Salvan Ahmed, the fourth string back for the Dolphins. Fourth stringer. Rushes for, he goes 85 of their 111 rushing yards. And ultimately, the Dolphins prevail. They're victorious 29 to 21. But I want to play the Anthony Lynn sound first, and then you react to this. Because again, we've been talking a lot about Anthony Lynn. He was reminded the Chargers are 3 and 16 in games trailing by a possession in the fourth quarter. Here is the coach's reaction. You're 3 and what, 16 with games, uh, eight points or less, I believe the stat is. 
how do you change that, Coach? Um, well, don't I mean don't, don't think that we that we that we're okay with that. I mean, we're, we're yeah, trying. certainly. I mean, these guys are working every week, and, and coaches are coaching. And, and you know, we go out and we, we, we play to win the game. We don't play to, to lose a one-score game. We play to win the damn game, and we didn't get it done. Well, there's no denying the fact. Another relatively close game, single digits, and Anthony Lynn, the Chargers, can't get the job done. Yeah, I mean, this is one, to me, this is the one I handicapped wrong. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I should have taken into consideration that uh, Miami was playing better. I thought that this was an even game. You know, the Chargers lead the league in rushes and completions, which give you some sense that they actually can execute. You know, they actually execute and uh, they do it really well. But in this game, the Miami was the better coach team in all three phases. They get a, they pock a punt, basically sets up their first touchdown. You know, they're able to put pressure on Herbert. He never really felt comfortable. They changed things up defensively with them. And, you know, Tua was very efficient with what he was doing with the offense. And this Ahmad kid, I mean, he gives them some juice. I mean, he truly gives them some juice. They spent $5 million bucks on Jordan Howard. That They throw that money out the window. But that's what you got to like about Brian Flores. He's not married to the who I paid and who he's married to paying and playing the best players. Playing the best players are more important to him. And they're, they're hard to play right now. They're, they're really good in all three phases. Their special teams is electric with Grant returning, you know. And their ability to block punts, their ability to play defense and get after the quarterback and really cause Herbert some consternation. I mean, a lot of the yards he got, 187, he got in the fourth quarter on the comeback. They never really were in this game. This is one I think Miami dominated from start to finish. And for Anthony Lynn, look, I just think sometimes guys are just not really good head coaches. And I think Anthony Lynn, unfortunately, just can't solve any, he can't solve the problems. He can never get the team to, to figure out how to win the game. You know, you can get the lead, but how do you win the game? And I think ultimately there's two Achilles heel to the Los Angeles Chargers, their offensive line, their inability to really be good and protect, and then their decision-making design on offense through Anthony Lynn. He looked to me like he was calling more plays than ever before. He was truly engaged in the offense. So, um, you know, to me, I, I, this was a horrible decision on my part to recommend this for the, for the Chargers based on this. Miami was playing better, and that should give every better a little bit of some comfort. Who's playing better at the time? You know, that's key because this one thing about COVID that we've learned is improvement through practice is going to be critical. And I think we've seen that with a few teams, Miami being exactly one of them. And look, Tua was, I thought he was fortunate with a couple throws he made. One, I went right through the hands of a guy who was intercepted. But but look, the kid makes plays, you know, and and the team believes in him, and he's got that swagger. He's got that it factor. You can feel it. Yeah, and now in that division, it's not out of the question the Dolphins could win the AFC East. Think about this. The Bills are 7-3. and three. The Dolphins are 6-3, and three, but they've won five straight games. And the Patriots are now 4-5. and five. I mean, it was a critical game for the Pats. They were able to win. So all of a sudden now, Mike, before I felt like, okay, changing of the guard, and now it's like, yeah, you know what? Uh, the Pats are only two, you know, two and a half games back, and the Dolphins are right on the heels of the Bills now. So this is going to be a fascinating stretch in the AFC East. Yeah, and, you know, all the teams are getting better, right? I mean, like, look, you know, Buffalo improves. You know, they lose Milano in that game, which I thought really hurt them. They didn't have Levi Wallace, their other starting corner against Arizona. I think that eventually hurts them. Uh, you know, but they're all getting better. And, you know, Buffalo's improved. The The Patriots are improving. And certainly Miami's, from where they started the season to where they are now, vastly improved. And, you know, I think those are three really good teams, whereas the NFC East ain't nobody improving. 
Snell. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of AFC. Browns ground game, edging out the Texans defense, plus the Eagles. God, 0 for 9 on third down conversions. Don't go anywhere. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. Well, there was concern at the start of the season. Okay, what's Baker Mayfield going to be able to do? Is he truly an elite quarterback? Can the Browns win with him? Well, what's happened is this. Running and defense. Okay, that's the recipe for the Browns. Baker Mayfield, 12 of 20, 132 yards. But it's running backs Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Both these guys surpassed a 100-yard rushing mark as the Browns beat the Texans 10 to 7 in a very windy game. Game was delayed 35 minutes due to severe weather. And the Texans running game, well, they couldn't, you know, honestly, Cape up with what the Browns running game was. Deshaun Watson, he's 20 to 30, 163, <clears throat> a touchdown. But how about the Browns recipe for success, Mike? Old school to run the ball and play a great defense behind the likes of Miles Garrett. I mean, look, that that's I, I think the one thing I will say different about this Browns administration than any Browns administration in the past is they know who they are. And they're not kidding themselves. They know Baker Mayfield is a serviceable player that has to play within the scheme. They know it. They, they see it as clear as the nose on their face. And they know they've got to give the ball to Hunt, give the ball to Chubb. Those two guys have got to make plays. And to me, once again, this is a game I thought I handicapped perfectly. I thought that the Browns would dominate. We knew weather was going to be a factor in the game. I thought the Browns would dominate because they could run the ball better than the Houston Texans could run the ball, even though the Houston Texans tried 20, uh, 22 times for 90 yards. So, you know, this is exactly how the game should have gone. Why Nick Chubb ran out of bounds, I think Kevin Stefanski is going to tell us, isn't he? I wouldn't have been mad at him if he scored, but we told him, you know, our code word for that, I guess it doesn't, I can let you guys know, but our code word is no moss. And we told him that before the third down. Uh, you're thinking, you know, gain the first and go down. Well, he gained the first and more. Uh, so I would not have been mad at him, but knowing Nick, you tell him to do something, he's going to do it. What about the gamblers and fantasy players? No comment. <laughs> <laughs> 
Here's what was so upsetting for the gamblers, Mike. He sips out of bounds to the one-yard line rather than scoring. This was, he took a pitch in a third and three with 107 left. He goes down the sidelines. The Browns were favored by four and a half and clinging to a three-point lead. So the Texans had no timeout. So Chubb said the plan was for him to pick up the first down, then give himself up. And listen, the line opened at Cleveland minus two and a half. It was up to three and a half by Friday. It closed at four and a half at most sports books. Unbelievable how pissed off betters were by this move by Chubb. And I was one of them, you know, and it's just, it's life in the, it's just, you got to accept it and move on to the next week. Kind of Russell Wilson-esque. I mean, it is. I mean, you handicap the game, you think you got it right. And, and then the kid steps out. He did exactly what his coaches told him to do. I don't understand it. I mean, I just, there's a 99.9% probability rate of winning the game if he scores the touchdown. 99.9% if he scores the touchdown. I mean, so why not score the touchdown? I mean, there was what? No time, really very little time left. You're going to kick the ball deep. The weather's the weather's a factor. I mean, look, if he didn't, to me, if he didn't have, if there was somebody breathing down or whatever, but he went out of bounds. I mean, why did he go out of bounds? Like, seriously, why go out of bounds and stop the clock? Why not stay in bounds and then it, you know, to me, that's what we should be bitching about. I'm not, I mean, I got beat on the bet on the recommendation because I don't bet, but on the recommendation. But to me, the, the, the anger and the hostility should be why didn't he just lay down? Why did he go out of bounds and stop the clock? If he's going to stop the clock, score. Yeah, it's <laughs> when you explain it that way, it is kind of mind numbing. But again, I guess this is a guy who just said, you know what? This is what the coach tells me to do, what the quarterback tells me to do. Fine. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to run a run. Which to me, like these analytics, I, I, I love analytics. There's nothing wrong with it, but why am I stopping the clock and I'm not scoring? Like that doesn't like. I, I want to live in a really intelligent, thought-provoking world that stimulates the, the ideas. And then you say to yourself, "Okay, I get that. I get that. That's the right thing to do." Okay, now I got it. All right, I learned something today. But you stopped the clock and you didn't score. Why wouldn't I take seven points over stopping the clock? Like, how does that make sense? That That, that is truly one that is mind-numbing. You're right. <laughs> like, at least if he just fell down at the one, right? Clock keeps going. Fine. You just want to chew up more clock. Yeah, that, I mean, if, if, he fought, if he fell down at the one, I would have said, okay, all right, the, the clock's going to continue to run the game's over. But you, he stops, and now you've got to literally take another step. What's the, what's the difference between taking another step and... And and kicking the ball out of bounds or kicking the ball, squib kicking the ball. There's wind, there's rain. You ain't gonna throw in that weather. Score. <laughs> if only, if only he'd taken your advice. A lot of the betters would be happy out there today. Proof that 2020 is just one of the strangest years ever is that for the first time in 1,470 days, the New York Giants have finally beaten the Philadelphia Eagles. They lost eight straight in this rivalry, okay? That's the first time since they lost 12 straight from 1975 to 1981. The G-Men hadn't beaten Philadelphia since November 6th of 2016, but it takes Daniel Jones with a turnover-free day and Wayne Gallman rushing for two touchdowns as the Giants stun the Eagles 27 to 17. But maybe it isn't that stunning because the Eagles, again, they are begging. They are begging Mike, for an offensive coordinator, they're coming off a bye, okay? You've got extra time to prepare, and you're telling me you go 0 for 9 on third down, 1 for 3 on fourth down. I mean, your attempts to go for 2 are pitiful. 
But this was about as bad as it took from the Eagles' offensive game plan, and that's why they lost this game. Look, I, I, I've been saying it all year. I mean, like the Eagles' offense, they got 12 offensive coaches. Eisenhower had less people to invade Normandy that, than they have in that staff room. I mean, seriously, it's it's just like unbelievable. And they come out with it. You know, and here's the thing that's driving all Eagle fans crazy is, you know, they have they have 23 carries for a buck 56 in the game. Yet everybody knows, everybody knows Peterson is going to get bored with the run. He's going to keep calling passes. Even though he's got a pass offense that's really not good enough. He's got a pass offense that's not good enough. I mean, his leading receiver per catch was Richard Rodgers because they didn't cover him. I mean, they draft Jalen Rieger because of his speed down the field. His longest gain is 16 yards. He has four catches for 47, right? And so, like, tell me where the design, tell me what's going on here. You know, when you can't convert third downs, and look, let's be real frank here. The Giants, I said no one's getting better in the East. That's wrong. The Giants are getting way better. They are getting way better. They've improved. They're not good enough. But one thing Joe is doing is he's doing the same thing over and over again. The repetitions, they're working hard. I mean, Daniel Jones led the team in rushes with 64 yards. Wayne Gallman, they ran it, you know, they ran it 36 times in that game for 4.2 yards a carry. And Daniel Jones is their leader. He didn't turn the ball over. He protected it, you know, got the ball to Shepard when he needed, converted some third downs. I mean, The whole problem with Philly in a nutshell is simply this. They don't have an identity. They do not know who they are. They play battleship offense. Let's try this. Okay, let's stick a run in here. Let's try that. Let's do this. Everybody wants Carson Wentz to get benched. But the reality of it is, is you got to make Carson Wentz better. If they can't make Carson Wentz better, how are you going to make Jalen Hurt better? Remember this, A.D., when Georgia got ahead of Alabama, Nick Saban pulled Hurts out of the game because he knew he couldn't throw the ball and win with them, so he put Tua in and won the game. Do you really think Hertz is going to be able to throw the football effectively? Now, I know he did it at Oklahoma, but that's so misleading. And really take this team and turn it on your... That is so naive. Like The problem with the Eagle offense isn't, isn't all on Wentz. It starts and ends with their offense. And this has been going on since Frank Wright became the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, and it's it's well said because it's just so eternally frustrating because normally coming in, you go, wow, Wentz and Jones, those guys have been turnover machines, and yet Wentz didn't turn the ball over. Like, both these guys were clean as far as the football was concerned. And back to your point about the fact Doug just gets tired of running the ball, you go, it's working perfectly. Miles Sanders rushed for 15 times, 85 yards. Boston Scott, three carries, 63 yards, including a 56-yard touchdown. 156 yards on the ground, yet he just can't help himself. He's like a fat kid on a smarty. Doug Peterson just has to throw the ball, even though you look at his receiving core and that's not scaring anybody. As you said, their offensive line isn't set up this way. Why don't you just keep running the ball for God's sakes? Look, look, you know, when we talk about the chief figure out officer, right? And I think we saw who the chief figure out officer was on Sunday night football. Uh, You know, here he is, he's in this game against the Baltimore Ravens and, you know, the Ravens, he knows there's potential for a lot of errors if he opens up the formation and lets the Ravens try to pound him. So what does he do? He runs the ball 39 times for a buck 73, gets 4.4 yards. He only attempts 17 passes. Now, I understand the weather was a factor, right? But what he did was he set out, he ran the, essentially, he ran the Tennessee game plan against the Ravens again. Limited what Don Martindale can do based on formations, based on personnel groupings, and ran it. This is the fundamental problem with the National Football League today. We have play callers and play designers. We do not have game theorists. 
We do not have guys that sit in their office on Monday and Tuesday and say, how do I set up a game plan to win the game? If I'm playing the New York football giants, what do I want to do? I want to control the ball. I want to be able to, to control the pace. My offensive line is finally healthy, right? My quarterback is struggling mightily. So let me do things that help him win, that, to give him some confidence. And let me go into the game and take the approach that, hey, it's going to be a close game. The less mistakes we make, we're going to win this thing. But what do they do? They think because they fly equal fly, they can put on their uniforms and just do whatever they can do. You know, the Eagles to me are like an old beat up car, you know, that everybody thinks that this is an interesting part. I said this on the Lombardi line on Sunday morning, you know, the line was moving. The line opened up at three and a half and there was all sorts of steam towards the Eagles. And I think the line closed at four and a half, you know, and if I, and my numbers said, take the giants, one of the few I got right. So the, the, the reality here is, is I didn't understand why the line was moving to Philly because they coming off a buy right? They're this old car that you everybody thinks is going to start perfectly, but you go out there and it, you can't get it to start. That's the Eagles offense. They just can't get it to start. They can't turn it over. And everybody just has this perception that it's going to magically turn over when yet, you know, when you go back and look at them, I mean, they're 22-20-1 since the Super Bowl. They're a 500 team basically since they've won the Super Bowl. And they just lost to the Giants and should have lost twice to them. The Giants are 15 and 44 since that since 2017. So it isn't like they're beating anybody any good. And I and I think at the end of the day, if you're Doug Peterson, you're just really not setting up, you're giving your team a chance to win the game. And also, Jim Schwartz, the defensive side of the ball, their run defense is just brutal. I mean, the Giants gashed them 151 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, Daniel Jones at one point, Chris Spielman said, he's sneaky fast out there as he was picking up yards all over the place. Take a listen to Doug Peterson, a curt response when asked about the team's ability on third down. Yeah, too many third and longs. It's hard to overcome. You know, we got to do better on first and second down. Too many third and longs. AD, he says that too many third and longs. His Super Bowl year when Frank Wright was calling plays. They had too many third and longs. They they were seventh in the league in the most third and longs of any team that year. Wow. Seventh. Okay. And they yet they overcame all those third and longs. There was magic in what they did in 17. They can't do this anymore. You know? And so when you're bad on third down, like they are, and you're in third and long, then why and you but you average, but you but you're here's where it just, it just doesn't make any sense. And nobody follows up the questioning. Like when you're averaging six point eight yards a carry, how can you be in third and long? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like I know the Boston Scott had the long run for fifty six yards, so that kind of skews everything. But Miles Sanders averaged five point seven yards a carry, and his only his long game was fourteen. What happens is you get bored. You start calling things, so you get bored. Who are you trying to get the ball to? You know, Fulgham had one catch for eight yards. Alshon Jeffrey finally got him on the field. He had one target. Like, seriously, you're not, like, you could say you're in too many third and longs. You've always been in third and long. Going back to 2017, the year you won the Super Bowl, you were seventh in the most third and longs of anybody in the league. But yet you converted them. So my point here is you got to figure out how to solve the problem, and yet, you know, it isn't just we're in too many third and longs. It's it's who are we? Who are we? In anything in life, you have to define what you really want to be or else you can't be it. It's like the anti-Fred Palermo war. That's coming up next. We're going to talk about who had the best game plan. The worst game plan goes to Doug Peterson and the Eagles. Just a brutal loss. We'll do the weekly awards. Uh, Monday Night Football at Soldier Field Plus. 
I rewatched one of Mike's favorite episodes of The Sopranos. We'll tell you all about Second Opinion next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New Customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know one thing about Michael Lombardi, and I think I know him pretty well at this point, having done over 100-plus episodes here at the GM Shuffle, he is the first guy to make fun of himself. He's the first guy to be self-deprecating. He's the first guy to be accountable and to be honest. So you're on the lamb pick. It's not only amusing to me, but also funny. Who goes on the lamb this week? Oh, I have to. I mean, look, when you go 0 for 5 in your picks and, you're, and you take great pride in trying to help people make money, I mean, well, who else should not go on the lamb? I mean, fuck. I need to go to West Cape May for a good long week and go down there and eat Velveeta cheese and kind of hang out or like like Tony eat peanut butter right from the jar after he killed Ralphie. I mean, like seriously, like I don't, I mean, I got to go. If, look, the one thing about being a critic, if you, if you pretend you have all the answers and then you're not willing to admit your answers are wrong to the test, then you, you have no credibility. And look, do I think I got screwed on a couple of those games? Yeah, sure I did. I also think I missed on a couple of handicap and I think I definitely missed on Miami. I definitely do. I don't really feel as bad about the 49. I think the 49er game to me was was stupid. It was the 49ers. I think I think Shanahan did a great job. I think it was a I think it's a tape that most people that play the Saints moving forward will use to duplicate some of those ideas to attack their defense. I think that's true. However, I didn't anticipate the two times they can't even field a goddamn punt and turn it over and give them the ball in their own field position. I mean, that's 14 points I lose right there. So, life goes on, but I I got to go on the lamb with it. Well, listen, Everyone gets a mulligan, okay? In honor of the Masters, Dustin Johnson, 20 under. Paulina Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky's daughter. So his, his son-in-law wins the Masters. So in honor of golf, take a mulligan. It happens. Overall in the year, like you said, it's around 500. I think COVID has impacted you. I mean, all kidding aside, when you've mentioned the fact, normally last year you'd make your picks on Thursday, ready to go. This year, the amount of dropouts and, and, and rosters changing, I do think it's impacted your formula, no? No, I definitely do. I mean, like, I didn't think Kyle Van Noy was going to play for the, for the Miami. He's in the game. Like, I'm seeing guys on the field that I don't, they're going to play and like I, I don't understand it, you know, like, and I'm not blaming them, you know, cause I'm reading the reports, you know, I'm looking at the injury list. It's, and it's not, it's not that I just think to me, you just, you, you just don't really, you, you know, the, you don't always kind of take into all the facts and I'm trying to take bias out of it. 
you know, and I thought the I thought the Chargers would play better than they did, and I'm, I'm disappointed with that pick completely. But you know, for the most part, you just got to like Russ will say, you just got to get back up to the plate and keep going and keep going through the same methodology and try to try to figure out where you're making mistakes. That's the key to anything in life. You got to figure out how not to make those mistakes. Yeah, and to point out, you're trying to make everybody else money. Thankfully, you're not betting on this, so it's not actually impacting your wallet at all. Otherwise, Millie might have a conversation with you after an O for five week. Yeah, um, the Pats. Sunday night football. I mean, miserable conditions, Mike. Gee, like a torrential rain. I'm like, geez. Like, Bill is just getting doused through the sun, especially by the end of the game. You couldn't even watch the game. It was just blurry. The entire camera's blown away. But the bottom line is this. The Patriots hold fast. Again, stick to a running plan and a game plan. Damian Harris, 22 carries, 121 rushing yards. Lamar Jackson uh, struggled at times. You basically keep him in check. 249, two touchdowns. You win a game like that, 23-17. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself. That may have defined the Patriots season. They lose that game. You go, all right, three and six, whatever. Four and five now. You're still in the hunt for a wild card spot. Two and a half games out of the division spot. I mean, that is a big time win against a good team in Baltimore. And Baltimore, consequently, losing that game. The Steelers are now nine and oh. You're now six and three. Now you're fighting for a wild card. Looks like the division isn't going to happen because Pittsburgh's already beaten Baltimore once this game. That was a big game for both sides last night. No doubt. And, and look, you, you know, Give the credit to the, the Patriots, the entire, their staff, that being able to come up with a game plan that worked. I mean, you know, without Calais Campbell inside, and then Brandon Williams gets hurt, they're two, they're two best defensive linemen. You know, they're, they're not in the game. They're pounding the football. They're playing to the elements. I mean, was Al Michaels obsessed with the weather or what? I mean, <laughs> you know, truly, Al, I mean, Al was like, I, I expected him to have like a map behind him and talking about the cold front coming in. I mean, you know, from the minute he got on the air, he was, pre- it's like, Al, you're not flying back to LA tonight anyway, so it doesn't matter. You're going to be at the Four Seasons in downtown Boston tonight. You're probably not taking a flight until like 10 o'clock this morning. Like, like what, was, what did he care? He wasn't going to get one inch of rain on him. The cars that he goes into are parked under the stadium. Right. Like, he ain't getting wet at all. There's a guy holding an umbrella just in case, right? He's got an umbrella, man, just like they do in the Kennedy assassination. I mean, so like, I think this is a great lesson for any coach at any level, is how to set up a plan and execute the plan to win. Look, I've said this three weeks in a row now about the Patriots. They have gotten better and better. That Buffalo game, they easily could have won that game. Cam turned that ball over. And since then, Cam hasn't turned the ball over. He's been protecting it. They haven't tried to throw it. They know they, again, once again, different from Philadelphia, they know who they are. They ran it 39 times. They were going to keep running. They threw it 17 times. And then Jacoby Myers threw it the one time on the touchdown pass. I mean, they converted in the red zone. I mean, really, the game should have been the game. I mean, Cam made a horrible throw in the red zone right before the field goal when it's when it was twenty when it was twenty to seven, and the Patriots got the ball back. They got a chance to make it twenty seven to ten at that point, and uh, you know, and they made it twenty three to ten. But the, the, he misses a, he misses Jacoby Myers wide open back there, or else that game would have ended a little earlier. And look. The Patriots are just improving every single week. And Baltimore, without a lot of their players, it was, you know, they kind of didn't have all their guys on the team. And it's just another setback. I mean, the Baltimore doesn't really know who they are on offense anymore either. They want to throw it a little bit more. But I think what you noticed last night is Baltimore's liability is in their offensive line. If they are not a team that's running it 45 times a game, they are going to have a hard time pass protected. When when they had a pass protect against a very mediocre pass rushing team in New England. They couldn't block them. I mean, they had a bench fluker in the game. 
that he couldn't block at right tackle. Orlando Brown struggles at left tackle. They gave up pressure inside. They got the holding call on the final drive of the game, which was clearly a holding call they grabbed wise. I mean, so they, they can't, when it's pass time and they have to pass protect, this offensive line isn't good enough to pass protect. And I think that's the end of the story. I think that's really the, and so they have to get back to who they are. And, you know, there's sometimes where Lamar makes plays in that game, you know, that you just say to yourself, like, how did he do that? Like, I thought he was sacked twice and he gets out of it. But, you know, bad snaps, not handling the weather very well. Hats off to the Patriots. That's That might be one of the best wins for the Patriots in a long time. Yeah, like I said, it could be a, it could be a defining win of this season if they turn things around. That's the Palermo Award to the Pats and their game plan. If you don't know, now you know. What's your main takeaway from this week of football? I don't see how you can give Russell Wilson the MVP after that game. And I know he says he'll bounce back, and I have all, all faith in the world in Russell Wilson. But to me, MVPs win that game. MVPs win that game. To me, it's Patrick Mahomes wouldn't have had that game. Patrick Mahomes would not have had that game. You know, to me, you've got to rise above it. You know, and, and you, you're, when your team is, has a liability on defense and you know it, you can't become the liability. You got to carry it. And the reason we were talking about Art Russell Wilson for the MVP was simply because he was carrying it. But after that game and that decision-making, and I know full well he'll bounce back, but he ain't the MVP of the league. You can't, you can't give him that after that game. Uh, that leads us to the Bears and the Vikings on Monday Night Football. I'm not optimistic. I'm a Bears fan, Mike. Uh, I know it's at Soldier Field, but Dalvin Cook has been rolling. The Bears, their depth chart is now being tested with a running game. I think Dalvin Cook of Minnesota, I would take them tonight. How are you? I'm not giving you a handicap pick here, but how do you think? Vikings win this one? Well, I, you know, this is an interesting game. Kirk Cousins is, what, 0 for 9 on, on, on national tele Monday night games? I mean, he has yet to win one. I mean, and the one thing I think about this game that you've got to like Minnesota, you got to like Chicago a little bit in this game is the fact that Minnesota, uh, Chicago's run defense will stop it. And if, and if Cook can't get going, then this offensive line kind of gets a little bit exposed, and I think they'll stop the run. The other thing is when you go back and watch Minnesota play against Detroit, that game was a lot closer than the score ended up being. You know, Cook was sensational in that game, and it was 34-20, and he was great, and they and they jumped off to the 13-0 lead, but Detroit missed two, misses field goals. They were bad in the red zone. You know, not that Detroit's a great offense, because they're not, but they're better than the Bears' offense. But I think there's enough here where I think the Bears' offense will move the football, and, and I think that, to me, if I, you're going to give me the home team and I'm going to get three points in a game like this, I'm probably going to take it. It's going to be windy. You know, it's going to be windy. It's going to, you're going to have, it's going to have 15, 20 mile an hour winds at the game. It's going to be in the low 40s. So it's going to be November football. You know, for me, I, I, I like Chicago. I'll take the points. Well, both these offenses are uninspiring, at least by the numbers. Vikings rank 26th. The Bears rank 31st. But defensively, Chicago's 8th, Minnesota's 17th. Just to use that as some uh, data, as you're pointing out, if the Bears defense, which has been an excellent defense this year, it's why they have a winning record. It's why they're 5-4. and four. If they can limit Dalvin Cook, that could change things in a hurry. That game is coming up tonight. I did go back on the Sopranos vault and rewatch Second Opinion, which this summer of the GM Shuffle, we listed our favorite episodes of the Sopranos, and you had that near the top of your list, I think with Amour Fu. So it was great because you said you were going back to the JFK stuff, and that's the episode where Uncle Junior, he only trusts this doctor because his name is Dr. Kennedy. And at one point, as Tony says to me, you know all the mix named their kids Kennedy after the guy who got his head blown off. Like, it's not special that this doctor's name is Kennedy. But Junior believes in that, like, mythic ability of this doctor. And at one point, he starts to, like, turn on Junior 
Peter and Tony and Furia have to go there and confront the doctor on the golf course, which leads to, at one point, Furia describing golf as that stupid little faggot game. But the amount of one-liners in this episode, this is not only the episode with the cunt hair mentioned, but also you tell me to take a dump on the Queen Mary an hour later, they're hosing it down. But also the episode, this is the scene where Tony sniffs uh, Adriana's panties and he tries to explain himself to Tony by saying, until she's married, nothing's off limits. I mean, this, second opinion is a great episode, Mike. I now know why you love it so much, having watched it again. It, it also has in there, it also has in there, I like it when it says some pulp. When Tony walks outside to get Carmela, she's on the phone. That's right. It also has that in it. Like I like it when he literally got walked all the way outside to find her to say, "I like it when it says some pulp," which I didn't even know that existed. I didn't even know they had some pulp on the on the thing. I mean. <laughs> And then, you know, if you want to lie to me, tell me there's a broad out back who wants to tongue my balls. That's another one in this episode. A great lie, you're right, by Junior. And then Tony follows it up by saying, that's only a phone call away, which is actually accurate. He can just call some girl at the bank. Boom, Junior, we'll take care of that for you. And then they're driving in the car. I bring you to ask questions and you ask one fucking question about my diet. I mean, it was just, it was one after another. It, it, it's really one of the best episodes you could possibly have. It, but, you know. It was truly well-written. It was all tied together. Kennedy, I love that man. You know, how do you reckon with the brother? And then, you know, it all kind of fits to what this book I'm reading with by David Talbert to call Brothers, you know, about how the conflict that, that you know, Bobby goes after the mob, you know, even though the mob gave him all the, the votes in Chicago and Giancano and Jack are, are screwing the same woman, you know, it's like, oh, it, the, the, the back and forth and Uncle Junior's ability to take the position with JFK, but not with our. FK who went after the mafia. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just priceless how it was framed all around a second opinion. And then of course, naturally it opens up with uncle junior on the operating table, right? With, with dreaming about Angie Dickinson. I mean, is, could there be anything better than that? I mean, I love how they carry the Angie Dickinson story all the way through the series. Yeah. That magazine picture of a younger Corrado Soprano with like a stunning Angie Dickinson, like that's his trophy wife as he flips on Tony. That's his reward. It's hysterical. Even the, even the scene with Christopher and Paulie where, cause Chris is going to do a strip search because Paulie doesn't trust him to make sure he's clean. And then he, Chris is naked and Paulie says, I guess you can call that a dick. <laughs> Just totally mocking the guy. <laughs> even even later, the woman, the, the, the sorry, the professor is trying to shake down Carmela, and they want fifty thousand. And Tony says, "I won't pay. I don't do much about extortion." Tony Soprano is saying, "I don't do much about extortion." Oh God, it's so good. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It, it is truly, that is, has to be one of the best. I mean, I encourage it. It really, just take some time, watch it. You'll laugh your ass off. And just Bobby Bacala in it, oh. him making that shake. Him, <laughs> the way he makes the shake is literally, I've seen my mother, my I've seen that the way he does it goes. It's like priceless how he does it. Oh, the mishap with the blender. Great. Uh, second opinion is season three, episode seven, which was just after a pretty gnarly stretch there. Episode six was University, where Ralphie killed the stripper. I mean, that's one of the most uh, just brutal episodes ever. Episode four was when Melfi was raped. So it was even, a, it was good timing in the season because you're like, God, I could use a little levity here. And second opinion was a, certainly a great episode. This was a great episode of the GM Shuffle. Thank you once again to the Simpsons. Make sure you check out Matt Selman. He's the guy on Twitter. Give him props to Micah. Thanks so much to Matt. Thanks to the Simpsons. And thanks to all of you for listening. Please go to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe, rate, and review. We'll talk to you guys on Thursday.